Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 26, How Kelly Harms Writes. I knew I was in for a good interview when I started doing my research on Kelly. On her website, she has this section on books for writers, and one of the books she lists, among many amazing books, is one of my all-time favorites, a book I've referenced a zillion times on this podcast, Deep Work by Cal Newport. For me, Kelly is a model of what a writer can be. She has built an inner game along with her skill so that she writes from the inside out. It was such a pleasure to interview her and try to parse out some of her secrets and working habits. This is an incredibly practical episode, especially since Kelly has spent a decade as both an editor and agent in the publishing industry. I am so excited to share this episode with you. So please enjoy this interview with Kelly Harms. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Kelly Harms to the show. Kelly is the author of The Overdue Life of Amy Byler, The Matchmakers of Minnow Bay, The Dark, or I'm sorry, The Good Luck Girls of Shipwreck Lane, and the soon-to-be-released novel, The Bright Side of Going Dark. She has also worked with New York Times and USA Today bestselling authors, Edgar Rita and Agatha Award winners, and indie next list picks in her time as an editor at a division of HarperCollins and later as an agent. Kelly lives in Madison, Wisconsin. Kelly, welcome. Hi. Boy, do I make my titles hard on people, don't I? <laughs> yeah, that was a little that was a little tongue twister for me. Um all right. So Kelly, we are recording this episode on April twenty second, twenty twenty in the middle of a crazy period of isolation. And I saw you're, you're like three weeks away from pub day on the bright side of going dark. So I want to <laughs> check in with you. Like, how are you feeling? What is going on in your world right now? Uh, I'm feeling fine. It's a book. It's, uh, there are no emergencies in book publishing. So um, it, everything will be okay. Uh, I wish that this weren't happening for a thousand different reasons. Um, the way that I'm most directly uh, impacted is that I have no copies of my own books. So usually by now there would be a stack of hardcover copies that I could use to reach out to people, uh, from a visual standpoint, but also to people who I really, really value their help. Um, people who have blurbed me, for example, uh, people who cover me in the media and, Without that piece of like hard mail that you get, mm -hmm. this kind of an attention getter, um, it's a little bit harder. And and also there's the gratification of getting your book. So I'm on, this is book four. I also wrote a long novella for Audible Originals. So that would be, this is book four and a half maybe. And, um, and I'm not sick of that part where you get your printed book and you take it out and sort of, fondle and molest right. the cover a little bit and <laughs> yeah. see what it looks like when you take the dust jacket off, all those wonderful parts of it. I'm missing those for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, um, the your upcoming book, The Bright Side of Going Dark, from I read the, the jacket copy and some of the advanced reviews. And from what I could glean, it, it appears it looks at this disconnectedness in a world of hyper-connectedness and this idea, <laughs> like the, the, the title of The Bright Side of Going Dark is like not being on social media and not- That's um, right. She goes completely dark. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, I just was thinking like, how, how has your view and perspective on this book changed? Oh, it's just been, I've been spinning yeah. around and around. And eventually yeah. I will end up facing the same direction because in the process of writing this book, I needed to work out my own relationship with my media. It was getting really hairy around here. And a part of a writer's job, as your listeners all know, is to get out there and promote themselves in a way that returns on their time away from the keyboard. So whether touring is right for you, whether social is, or getting into print or whatever the method that works for you to build your platform, it's always a trade-off between what you do to sell books and what you do to create new and better books. So when Amy Byler came out, I had to do so much work in front of screens that wasn't composition Mm -hmm. because of the wonderful reader feedback and just the huge amount of response. And um, in order to deal with that, I found myself on the screen more and more until there was, you know, I was starting to notice I was on it when I was with my son, for example, I started second screening at night. I was doing those sort of toxic habits that I think Mm -hmm. many of us will recognize in ourselves. Um, Waking up in the middle of the night and getting the phone out right away, stuff like that. (laughs) So this book kind of came from there and also came from the fact that I was um, hospitalized for a really long time last year. And during that time, I was just not capable of using any social I was just too out of it or, or, and sometimes I didn't have like use of my body or whatever. So I had this amazing experience of going dark involuntarily and finding out that everything was fine when I came back and the world didn't fall apart because I was dark on Facebook for two weeks. Um, And of course we all know that somewhere inside of us, but obviously if you're looking at your phone when you wake up in the middle of the night, you don't know it all the way or you wouldn't be doing that. So um, so that's what I wanted to explore in writing of this story. But what I ended up deciding having written the whole thing was that I'm more grateful than ever for tech. And that has proven itself out now. Yeah. I, uh, our family's reliant on it right now. And everyone's, I think, who is lucky enough to have connectivity right now. We are certainly like the class that is going to get through this with the least un, like the least scathes, if I may. Um, mm-hmm. And so now I feel very, I guess I'm just really sitting in like that uncomfortable level of privilege where I understand that tossing our phones right now is neither an option nor an attractive idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. It but like- when this is over, we're going to be so sick of our, of our tech. <laughs> Yeah, no one's going to open up Zoom for 
six months when this whole thing is done, <laughs> right? I don't I, know if the world's changed forever or if we're going to snap back in a weird way or something, but we're going to have to renegotiate our relationship when, when the world does open up again. Yeah. I, you know, it brings up a really interesting point. And I, um, I've talked about this with other authors on the podcast, this idea of the relationship and the trade-off really between our involvement with our phones and the writing life and how, not that oh. it's an, not, not that it's an either war. But there's certainly a trade-off. I I have this really cheeky line I like to say, like, you know, the next Shakespeare isn't going to write because she's too busy looking at Instagram, <laughs> you know, you know. And and so I'm I'm curious as you wrote this book, and your cheeky line is tragically true in I, my experience. Right. There, there, there's a lot of amazing writers that I've come in contact with, that I work with, that I coach, and a lot of times the number one thing they say is I cannot focus because I'm always looking at my phone, and so. As you wrote this book and you explored this idea of putting down your phone, I mean, I, I literally did a podcast about this just a couple of weeks ago. Like, it's so relevant. What did you learn about not just our world, but about you as a writer? And what would you, having gone through that, what would you tell the listeners? Here's what might be on the other side for you that is or isn't worth this type of disconnectedness. Uh, the, the answer is you will become a better writer without question, but also a different kind of productivity where your work, um, where your shitty first drafts are more interesting, uh, where you take fewer cliches on because what 90% of what we see is the rep- repetition, right? On, on social, we see like a meme and then we see 10 different variations on the theme. Uh, we see, a flat lay of books. Bookstagram is definitely my poison. Um, <laughs> and then we, and then we see like the same idea a hundred different ways. Yeah. And in my main character's life, she's a yoga grammar and Oh my God, the repetition. I mean, there's just nothing new under the sun in terms of like a 15,000 year old art form on Instagram looks pretty much the same, no matter who's posting about it. Um, so I really wanted to make a special fun of that because it's just such a bad fit for each other. But writing <laughs> and social are almost as bad with it. Right. They just don't, they, they're not friends. They shouldn't go together. They, they have to for, for work, for the, those of us who haven't already secured our platforms in a way that we can step back. But, right. um, but if you ever have any doubts about how it's affecting you. You need to just stop everything and read Deep Work by Cal Newport oh and gosh, figure yes. out where you fit in. Yeah. Because I mean there's a thousand riffs on that book as well, but that's the one where it really helps me get hooked into the idea that the only way for me to get better and all I care about at the end of the day is getting better and getting a new contract so that I can use my work again. Right. Mm. Um, I do love it when my readers feel seen. I love it when they reach out to me, but mostly I want to be paid to write because it's the writing I'm here to do and I want to keep getting better. And so for me, the changing the relationship with my phone was how I got better. Yeah. That, that book has come up a half dozen times. In fact, I I wrote in a different question for this conversation with you. I, I mentioned this book 
Um, but that but that book has come up a half dozen times on this podcast because I feel like it most clearly demonstrates the stakes that that we're talking about, and it, it really clearly set, shows anyone. I mean, in any type of work that there's trade offs you're going to make, and your attention is the most one of the most valuable resources you have, not even necessarily your time. And how to... They're totally two different things. 100%. Your time and your attention. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So so then in your own life, how have you then, as a writer, a working writer, you are producing these beautiful, wonderful books. I cannot wait to read The Bright Side of Going Dark. But I'm curious how you as a writer have structured your writing routine around social media. Because you said there, there's a tension there. You have to, quote unquote, build your platform. And so how do you engage with social media and still produce books? First of all, thank you. Um, <laughs> so real talk for your listeners that I don't know that everyone is always going to be able to say, but I'm pretty frank. Um, I had to hire help. <laughs> and that yeah. is something you only get to do when a book works and you've got a little spare change lying around. Um, and then you have a bunch of responsibilities to make sure that you're hiring at a fair wage and that you're working with somebody who has um, freedom and choices. So that opens up a new set of interesting things. But I do have help on my social media. I generate all the content myself because writing and my voice is, is who I am. It's what I have to sell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there is so much administrative work that I do now have help with so that I can get the new book, which is due. I mean, thank goodness your viewers can't see me because your, your listeners can't see me because I have, my hand is in a cast. I broke it on the weekend (laughs) and the new book is due in three weeks and I'm doing edits by dictation, which I can't just everybody insure your hands or something. Just don't break hands before a deadline. That's my rule, my new rule. Um, it's really hard, but, um, if I didn't have that administrative help, I'd be busy shilling, so to speak, bright side of going dark and setting myself up for books to come because now bright side is, is like a teenager that's moved out of the house Mm. and, or in this case moved out of the house and, then came back and I'm trying to let her live in the basement, but she has to pay rent. She, she's, uh, she's, we're done with her and we're on to who I am next and who's, what's the next book for me and how to make it as strong as I can. So yeah, if you can get help, you should and try to try to, sorry to get way off track, but this is one of those moments where male and female writers seem to have a really different take on things because my girlfriend writers, you know, are a little gaspy. They would never, how dare you think of not doing it all yourself. And I don't have a wife and I don't have, (laughs) um, so why shouldn't I hire an assistant that it totally computes to me, but that's maybe, I I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Guys do it all the time and they don't think twice about it. And it makes utter sense to me. Uh, my, My readers, what they really want me to do um, I think is make another book for them. Right. I, I think that's the thing that deep work, it feels like really illustrates and you've, you've shown by example, one of the key points of the book. And I just want to flush it out a little bit, which is to know the one thing you 
are, I don't want to say here on this earth for, but the one thing you're here to do right now. And for you, it's writing books. And it's not that other things aren't important, but that is the number one thing for you. And so find not just books, but good books. Exactly. So right. Good books. Right. Because I have, I can go on social and write books. They just don't get as good as they can be when I don't have the time to focus on them a hundred percent. Right. Right. So it's finding, it's finding the way to deprioritize things that are important, but less important and and making that hard trade off. And what you said is the key word. It's right now. Correct. Yeah. Cause it changes. Like, I mean, a month ago, we probably didn't think that the world would be as insane as it is right now. You know I mean? Everything changes uh, very quickly. And then, oh, man. yeah. And now my son's home with me and it's just this amazing fun moment that I'm sucking up. And that means that I'm writing on the weekends and playing with him on the weekdays. Yeah. And that's the right now of it. You've got to figure out where you are. I mean, sometimes I talk to writers who feel so guilty that they don't have ass and chair under control. And I want to say to them, like, first of all, yes, get your butt in the chair. Absolutely. But secondly, if this isn't your thing right now, stop pretending it is mm-hmm. and come back to it when you're ready. It will still, like words will still be there for you when you don't have three kids under six in your house or when you're not working 80 hour days or when there's not a global pandemic freaking you out at night. So right. I do want to give everybody permission to sort of figure out where they are. If this isn't their deep work, to steal that term from Mr. Newport, uh, that's also okay. It doesn't mean you're never going to write. It just, we just have to find where we are in the moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I think it's such, I think it's such important. It's a, it's a really important conversation right now, which is, um, to know, especially now to know when to push and to know when it's, hard work time and to know when it's time to give yourself grace and, yes. and to say, it's okay. I will get there, but right now I need to be graceful with myself because I think, you know, as writers, if we're not writing, we, there's like an identity crisis that starts to pop up. Oh, you know? Yeah. For me, I, I really do have trouble having a good day when I didn't write. Right. And that is right. not about the, yes, maybe I am a little bit of a writing crazy person. Um, <laughs> but it's also just a, one of my work, like that's my work. I need to figure out how to still like myself on a day that I didn't produce any new words or do any great editing or, you know, create a gem. Right. Yeah. So this is a good parlay into one thing I noticed. So I was on your, I was poking around your website and I saw that you have a section. It's like a, a book or it's a book list for writers, basically people who want to write. And I went through and I, I looked at all the books and about half of them you know, I was like, yes, this, this is the good stuff. And then half of them, I was like, okay, on my to read list. But some, <laughs> of, some, of, some of the books were 10% Happier, The Artist Way, classic, Bird by Bird, classic, Deep Work, which we have already discussed <laughs> in, this, yes. in this conversation. Um, all of the books though, th- this is what I found interesting. I want to talk to you about. All of the books seem to be less focused on the blocking and tackling like craft parts of writing. Like I didn't see anything that was like how to build character or how to 
um, right. you know, design a novel. They were all about <laughs> what I call the inner game. It's like the whole point of how writers write is to help people with their inner game because more people are going to quit writing because they don't have the inner game lined up, not because they don't know how to write a good sentence, you know? And so... Um, yeah, my lack of MFA shows all over that list um, because... <laughs> For me, the craft is something you learn by doing, but the permission to do is a much harder game, I think. Okay. We we gotta we are now going to unpack what you just said because it is <laughs> I think it's so I think it's so important because I think a lot of times and I did get an MFA. Um and so I think in a lot of ways when we are taught to write, um, we're taught to write through our brain, through our head, and we're taught that the right the right way to write is getting your sentences right and being able to have poetic prose. And those are all important things, but it seems like your book list is saying it comes from the inside out almost like the writer starts on the end. Yeah. Of course it does. Of course. Okay. Of course. Why? Of course. Why? Keep going. I'm so excited for this. When we're kids, (laughs) Even I, I did not want to be a writer when I was young, but when we're kids, our permission to write is absolute. It's nobody ever comes down to you at the age of five and says, why don't you write that story down? I'm interested in reading it. Or maybe they do, but they're not really because it's the most weird story ever. And it's probably about a robot and it just stops in the middle. It's my son's writing is like having a bad dream sometimes, but (laughs) Oh, see, now that's something that I wish I hadn't said. Okay, so (laughs) that said, um, no one gave me permission to write at that age. And then somewhere along the line, I revoked my own permission, right? Um, And all of us do it sometimes. And what changed for me really was working in the industry because I saw lots of people writing and nobody had to tell them it was okay or that they were good. And in fact, sometimes I couldn't figure out who would possibly say that to them. And yet they were writing. And, um, and I was just, it was, it was the chutzpah, right? The chutzpah it takes to say, I'm going to just spend a hundred hours writing for no other reason than because I think I deserve to. Um, right. But it's not, it, it's not crazy, actually. It makes utter sense to us when we think about what we were like as children. Uh, it makes utter sense that writing should be play, that we should be troubleshooters rather than getting in front of ourselves and telling ourselves how a book is made. So for me, uh, I can recommend craft books because I get stuck in the second half of the second act a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I have read and read and read to try to figure out where things get twisty and awry. But that said, that's troubleshooting. That that's because I already know what my problem is, not because I need someone to give me permission to structure my books in a certain way, for example. Right. Oh, yeah. You get what I'm trying to say, I hope. Yeah, no, I totally do. I, I, it sounds like to me that there's a part of what you're saying, which is um, it's almost like when you have the belief that you can write and you're allowed to write whatever you want, 
than the technical details of the craft of actually putting together a book or That's putting together part. characters. It is the yeah, and it's not that it's easy, but it's no. easier than to me. It's almost impossible. I talk to people all the time about this. It's almost impossible if you don't believe you can write, and if you don't believe you have the right to write. Mm-hmm. You can learn every you can learn every trick in the writing book. You can you can write the be the best technical writer. You can have the best prose, but until you have the inner game to actually put words on a page, which really is, it's not a head thing; it's a heart thing. Um, that book until not you're bring, sold on the idea you know? that no matter what your results are, it was worth doing. Oh, that's so good. You oh, that's so good. Yes, really don't get to step into your own voice and be the writer you were meant to be. How did you learn that? Because that's that is a again, I have fallen into this trap a lot. And I think a lot of people, a lot, a lot, a lot, especially new writers have fallen into this trap, which is the if only game. Like if only mm-hmm. I get an agent or if only I get my manuscript done or if only I get published, then I will be happier or I'll be this or I'll be that. Um, how did you divorce yourself from the if only game and saying whatever happens, it was still worth it? That comes from working in publishing for so long because the if only game just moves. If only I get an agent. Right. And then I'll get a deal. Right. And then I'll get a list. And then I'll get a movie rights. And then I'll get foreign translations. It will you'll never catch up to that. I nobody does. You'll never catch up to it. Um maybe, I don't know, ask JK Rowling, but don't ask me. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I've seen it in author after author after. I must have I don't know. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of authors and that validation is not coming from outside. It's never coming. Give up. It's not coming. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. I, I know. I know. I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like we just need a long collective pause to let that sink in. And so the next question then is if the validation and we can just talk about your life if you know if, if it's like too broad to kind of say for humanity or writers in general. So <laughs> In your own life, then, if your validation is not coming from the outside, where does your validation come from? So it comes from both places now because there is one special kind of validation that just, for me, plants like a flower garden in my heart. And that is the women who feel seen, sometimes men, but typically with my books, it's women who write me to say that they felt seen for the first time. They'd felt um, connected to, or some sort of, I don't, I guess I'm taking a beat here to try to figure out how to say something that I wrote gave them permission to think it was okay for them to express themselves. So that Mm. is the one piece of validation that I garden, I cultivate, I get into conversations and I just, that's really where it's at. That's pretty fantastic. Um, but nothing that my agent or editor says to me will ever like quiet the fears. Mm -hmm. And, um, Brightside has the best trade reviews I've ever gotten probably. Um, and I almost told my agent to pull that book and buy it back from the publisher because I hated it so much after I was finished. Oh my! I guess so, I've just learned that I'm getting in my own way and I have to 
ignore the screaming voice telling me to stop or that I'm a fraud or any of those things. I, I, she, she's there because she's worried about me, but she's not helpful. And, right. um, yeah, I mostly just clench my teeth and try to shove her away when I'm writing. Yeah. I, I want to like dig I, into that because there's no, um, there's no magic pill to give yourself yeah. permission, I guess. Yeah. I, I want to dig into that because it's like, um, you know, we, it, there's like a pop psychology term for that, like the inner critic, right? That <laughs> right. comes in is like, you can't do this, or I'm trying to keep you safe because I don't want you to be hurt. So therefore Mine you should even has a write. name. Oh, yeah, right. I, call okay, her, right? I call her Shelly and she's okay. just absolutely awful. She's <laughs> my inner editor, but she's yeah. also really, really worried that I'm going to embarrass myself. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I don't want to totally rabbit hole us into like the psychology behind it, but <laughs> so, so when Shelly... When Shelly pops up, let's <laughs> just... we're even talking about her. <laughs> oh yeah, we're bringing her in. We're just like, like Shelly, pull up a chair. So, so when Shelly, so when Shelly, you're you're writing. You know, Kelly is writing, and Shelly pops up and is like, "Oh, you can't do this, or you shouldn't do this, or this is gonna hurt." How do mm-hmm. you learn, or how have you learned to write through that? Because progress is it comes through that. Like, if you listen to that, there would be no. You know, there would right, be no right side of going right. dark, right? It, it just wouldn't be in the world. So how did you learn to actually move past that? I think a lot of people deeply struggle with this exact <sighs> topic. Yeah. I do. I deeply struggle. I think there's some tears involved. There's a little bit of people wrenching it out of my cold dead hands that I didn't used to have. That's pretty helpful. But mostly... I write, I keep writing because I haven't figured out that question I came to answer in the story. So at some point, right around the midpoint of every book I've ever written, I decide that this one's going in the garbage, but I'm just going to (laughs) finish writing it just to see what happens. Yeah. So I actually do give myself permission to throw it away and then keep going anyway. Yeah, that that's like such a good um, <laughs> trick of the there, mind, right? It is. It is absolutely yeah. just ninjaing myself, and that I know it's silly. There's there's probably like many great episodes on people who have the kind of blazingly good self esteem who can help us get through that. But for me, it's just well, this one's this one's a lost cause, but I still haven't really figured out how to be an adult with this much tech, or I still haven't really figured out how to be a single mother and give myself permission or whatever the question, you know, the first one was really about home. And I, I don't think I'll ever really figure out what home feels like, but that, that question wasn't solved when I was halfway through. So I thought, well, I better keep writing and find out. Yeah. It's almost as if the, this is so important. It's almost as if the question you're asking in the book is just slightly more compelling or maybe not even slightly, but just more compelling than the Rick. Yes. That is exactly what it is. Of writing. I just have to know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just, and sometimes, you know, like I I always say like uh, the pain of writing is only um, slightly less than the pain of not writing, you know, like it's just slightly less, (laughs) but it's less. And it, and it sounds like the, 
it's almost like um it, it reminds me of there's this uh I think it's Simon Sinek. He has this this book series of like the big why, you know, like start with why. Mm-hmm. And it's almost as if I'm hearing like your why is is really important to you. Like it it, it holds a place that is incredible. It's critical for you to answer. Yes. Yeah. And now I have another why because I'm an up like and I'm upholder again. If we're gonna go back to all these wise. Um, it is because somebody is expecting me to deliver something. So that, I'm not going to say it helps, but it's part of the whole equation. Yeah. There's like a built-in external accountability there. That said, a lot of, a lot of my friends do say they're never going to write under deadline again after this, and that it's better to just produce your whole book first. And I, the, the fun of writing is is greatly diminished by being on deadline. So when you're writing your first book and you're not on deadline, that that may be the most fun you've ever had. So <laughs> it's, of- yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. So you have a you had a uh, before you became a working writer, you had a career in the publishing business. Kind of read it earlier, both as an editor, but then also as an agent. That's um, right. If you had to kind of, how long, firstly, how, how long was that uh, stage of your life? Like how long did you work in publishing in that capacity? A decade. Okay. So over a decade, so a long time. Um, so over a decade, um, if you had to try, this is one of those impossible questions, like, thanks, Brian. But if you had to try and sum up like in the like, three to five big bullet points, the things that you've learned that you think would be really, really, really important for the listeners of this podcast to know about that side, what would those three to five bullet points be? Uh, well, the first thing is that even though we all know it's very competitive, if you are good and persistent, you will eventually break through. I, I can say with 99.9% certainty that everybody who wrote a good book and didn't give up, got published or will. You can just tattoo on that, that on you your can, heart for everybody. It's a hundred percent sure right. you will get there. Um, because there, I read hundred queries a week, usually sometimes more. Most of them didn't have merit. They weren't carefully written. They were easy to sort through. And I was desperately looking for something good. The only way to get promoted is to find stuff in the, in the slush pile, right? Oh, I didn't know um, that. Oh, I didn't well, know I that. Mean, you, go, you go out and you try to meet people and you talk to other authors and ask them to send people your way and you beat the bushes. But yeah, nobody's handing you a genius on your first day they're handing you a coffee order. And mm-hmm. so you read that slush pile and there's nothing more you want in the whole world than to find the good stuff. Hmm. Okay. So they're looking for you. So, okay. Yeah. So there's your bullet point. Okay. People are looking for you. Yeah. And people are ready somewhere. Someone is ready for your book. Although a lot of times your books come out in the wrong order. So my second bullet point would be, the next book might be the book that's going to break you out. One book is not usually enough to break most people out. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then the third thing is what I always said when I was in the business, which is first 
congratulations. You've done something. When you write a book and revise it, you've done something that everyone I've ever met in an airport or a cab has told me they want to do and hasn't done. Yeah, totally. Totally. When you say you're a writer, every single person tells you about the story they have inside of them that they won't tell. Yes. Yeah. But it's inside of them. And so that's not interesting to me. It's the ones who got it out. We want to see you. You will break through if you're good enough and you never give up. And you've already made a huge accomplishment. That is such a beautiful three points. I like feel so filled up and encouraged by that. So what's one thing... What's one thing after working in the business on one side of the publishing side and then going over and being a author on the working author side, like what's one like big learning that you're like, oh, I didn't know that until I started writing the book as opposed to, you know, being on the agenting and editing side of the business. I didn't know how scary it was. Mm. And I didn't know how desperately people want to be really, really well edited Sometimes I thought, and maybe this is true for some people, that a light edit would be a good news thing for them. And it is nice to get a light edit, but it really scares me and it makes me think that there's more work to be done. So now that I am at a publisher where I get very, very heavy, deep, deep edits, I'm just, I'm so happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. I I need to be like, it's very nice to be told like, you did a perfect on the first try. But anybody who says that to you needs to be looked at with this fair amount of suspicion. Right. I think that's an important point to hear as well, which is um, you're going to, like in the writing world, in the writing life, I should say, if you're putting your work out there, you're going to get feedback that may not feel great. (laughs) It never feels great. And it's really, it's interesting. I I wish I could remember the quote, but it's all, in a certain degree, it's a perspective on how you view said feedback. Um, Because if you view it as being like, well, I'm smart and you're dumb and you just don't get what I'm trying to do here, or how dare you Mm -hmm. give me feedback, or somehow this means I'm not a writer or not a good Mm -hmm. writer, it's always going to hurt, you know, but I heard this You do, you have to depersonalize it, but that takes time. Right. And I heard this one great quote. I think it was Mark Twain who said like, you know, when somebody gives you feedback about the book, they're almost always right um, that that section <laughs> needs work, but they're almost always wrong in what it needs. Uh, Isn't that so, funny? Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. So I just, I think feedback specific, having gone through an MFA with tons of workshops and getting lots of feedback, I feel like it, at first I was really defensive of getting feedback, but then I realized like, oh, this is a gift. Like this is a huge gift. Even if someone's like, I hate this there's something for me to learn in there. If I can divorce myself and it not be like, oh, I'm an awful writer and I should just quit, which is hard. I I will say that you need to make sure that the people whose feedback you take to heart are worthy. You can't just be listening to every every Yahoo that gets into an MFA program doesn't have good information to share with you. 100%, right. But that said, um, when like of all the milestones that you imagine are going to make you feel worthy, they all are going to come with much, much more criticism than you're getting now. So the, the Amy Byler has 5,500 Amazon reviews and you better believe that I do not read that stuff because those people aren't qualified or even if they are, my heart just can't be open to everybody's opinions anymore. 
um, about a published book. But before it was published, you better, yeah, those editors made a huge, huge difference in how that book turned out. Right. Yeah. Oh my. So I don't want to say this, but I, but I'm forced to, this is where we start to move into the end of the interview where I get to ask you, I know I'm like, I looked down at the time. I was like, what, what already? There's so much left to talk about. Um, So this is the part of the um, podcast where I ask every single author, I ask the exact same four questions and I love it. It's a really fun way just to hear the diversity of answers across, you know, first time authors, people have been writing, you know, 50 books and, you know, all sorts of different answers. It's really fun. So okay, so ask this you those, is the lightning round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to ask you these final four questions um, to wrap up our podcast. So question number one, if you had to pick a spirit book, so this is like a book, if you died and you got reincarnated as a book, <laughs> this is the book you would be reincarnated as, which, what, which book would it be? It would be Lori Colwin's Home Cooking. Uh, she published a HarperCollins and passed on young, but she lived in a tiny little studio in New York and made amazing food for her loved ones and wrote beautiful, beautiful novels and short stories. Um, So everybody needs to go read her, but home cooking is, oh God. You know, the one you want to go back and read again for the first time. Well, I think I read it every year. Okay. I just wrote it down as you said that. This is why I love to, I always get so many good book recommendations from this, you know, uh, but I just wrote it down. Um, that is going she's, on. My she's eye-blazingly smart. Okay. I, I, she will make you feel like a dunce, but it's wonderful. It's okay. worth it. Wonderful. Okay. Question number two, is there a specific tool? Can be anything at all, pencil, software, chair, that you absolutely must have to write? I got to have both hands. It turns out. <laughs> oh, I don't mean to laugh at I your would, pain, but that was, that was. <laughs> I would not have said that five days ago. I thought I would have no trouble. And when I left the hospital, I thought, well, I can sort of hunt and peck or I can dictate or I can type with my thumbs, but it's slowing it down so much. The writing's just not as good. So I oh need my. both hands. Okay. Let, let, man, one of those things you don't know you need until it's until there, you right? need, yeah, yeah, until right. it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Okay, question number three, and we touched on this a little bit, but I would love to just kind of bullet point it with you. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? I have a reliable partner to be pretty steady, but that doesn't have to be a romantic partner there does have to be somebody in your life who's doing the same thing. And you need to go like hunt that person down because these slings and arrows of writing are unlike any other business. So my very reliable partner works in technology and he is, his mind is blown by the bananas world that I live in. So (laughs) find somebody who's doing the same thing as you so that you know that it's not just you And then also be the kind of person that if they start hitting their milestones before you do, you keep your relationship strong. Be that kind of cool person. Because when you hit your milestones, it is so good to have someone lighting the way for you. Yeah, that's really beautiful. That that community, I feel like for writers is rare and so... 
it's so special. Important. Yeah, yeah. Really special, really beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Final question here for you. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers, what would that be? It's got to be the same as what everybody, I hope everybody says this, read, read, read. Did they just say read? Uh, they, that tends to be up there. there there's a <laughs> diversity, but there's a diversity of answers. Yeah, there, we get all, I get all sorts of answers to that question. Yeah. Read, read widely, read books that are too hard for you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If you do Sorry. one thing. No, I mean, if you do one thing, read, yeah. reading, reading an obscene amount. You know, no, That's, no one, no one ever said, yeah, I started to read a bunch of books. My life, my writing life fell apart, you know? No, no. In <laughs> fact, it usually, it usually works the other way. The, if the well is dry, yeah. read more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kelly, I have so thoroughly enjoyed this. I feel like, um, like I said, kind of before we started, I feel like we have a lot of philosophical similarities in how we approach writing and look at writing. And so this has just been for me, such a wonderful hour of my life. So thank you so much for joining us. I know everyone out there can replay this like 20, 30 times (laughs) at least. And I am so looking forward to reading The Bright Side of Going Dark in just a couple of weeks. I can't wait. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, Kelly. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Kelly for her time. If you haven't yet, please go on to iTunes and rate and subscribe. It means the world to us. Also, check out How Writers Write on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you to you, dear listener, and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.